Hello, everyone. This is Eric Pennington, and welcome to the Spirit of EQ podcast. We're glad that you've tuned in. A few things we wanted to tell you at the beginning of the show, and that's this podcast was created to be a tool to help you, primarily to discover and grow your EQ. Science and our own lived experiences confirm that the better we are at managing our emotions, the better we're going to be at making decisions, which leads to a better life. And that's something we all want. We're glad that you've taken out the time today to listen and hope that something that you hear will lead to a breakthrough. Hey, one last thing. We'd really appreciate a review on whichever platform you use to listen. And if you want to, leave some comments about what you heard today, as well as follow and subscribe. That way you won't miss a single episode as we continue this journey. And with that, the show begins. Hello, everyone. This is Eric Pennington with The Spirit of EQ, and welcome to The Spirit of EQ podcast. Today's episode is around generational EQ. Life is a journey. Spirit of EQ helps shape and guide the road ahead for individuals, leaders, teams, and organizations striving to realize their full potential through emotional intelligence. Spirit of EQ is a coaching and consulting company that assists individuals and businesses to reach their full potential by developing emotional intelligence. In business, managers and leaders recognize the value of training to develop leadership skills. What they may not realize is that those skills are far more effective when they pay attention to not only performance, but also to people. Emotional intelligence is a crucial skill because people drive performance and emotions drive people. After this podcast, listen for a special opportunity to learn more. And joining me as always is Jeff East with The Spirit of EQ. Hi, Jeff. How are you? Hi, Eric. Hello, everyone. And joining us today, we have a special guest, Mr. Andrew Hulse of Futurity. And uh, he is on the line with us. We're going to have a great conversation today around some generational ideas and emotional intelligence. Andrew, how are you? I'm doing well. Uh, Good afternoon to you, Eric and Jeff. And it's a pleasure to be here talking with you guys. I'm excited. I want to start off today uh, because when I put this together, I'm sure that Jeff and our producer, Brett, were kind of like, generational EQ, where is he going with this? Well, (laughs) I'm going to harken back to a conversation we had some time ago about the different uh, ways that each generation looks at emotional intelligence and how they use that, per se, in their decision making. And I think it was that conversation we had about that real high level of confidence that sometimes baby boomers and Gen Xers have around the corporation. You remember that? Yes, I do remember it very well. Today, I'm, I'm hoping you can give some insights about what's going on inside of your generation, your community, what you're seeing and hearing, and how that may translate to others who are in different parts of the United States and, and beyond. The thing that I want to start with here with you, maybe the first question, Andrew, is we have a competency model inside of our EQ model, uh, which is called exercising optimism. Exercising optimism is maybe pretty straightforward, and I do believe, Jeff, we even hit on that on one of our episodes at one yeah, time. one of the early ones. Yeah. So uh, with that, where do you see the millennial generation uh, as it relates to optimism? How optimistic are 
are you and maybe those uh, that you know who are in your your generation? And I kind of gave it away. You're in the millennial generation. So uh, so from that perspective, what's the optimism looking like uh, from that perspective? Well, hopefully I can shed some some good light on the millennial generation. I know that's been the past couple of years. Um, it was probably right when I was getting into college when the, the conversation around millennials was starting to, uh, to heat up, you know, with the acceleration of technology and the fact that we were using it every day all the time. Um, but I think that it's not necessarily as black and white as some of the other generations might like to see, I guess, the general term optimism. So in, I think me, myself personally, I'm, I'm a really optimistic person. Um, I'm very extroverted. I'm happy about everything most of the time. Um, I feel I, see, I, I often tend to see things as very much glass half full. Um, but I think that optimism for millennials isn't necessarily just, um, yes, we're optimistic about work. Yes, we're optimistic about life. I think we're optimistic about different parts. Um, I think we compartmentalize those the work and life into many different aspects. Mm-hmm. Um, if you think, if, I mean, if we're talking about life, um, where the world is going, I would say millennials um, in general, we care a lot about the impact that we're having on the world that we live in, on the environment, on our political, um, the political landscape that we're in right now. So I think that we're optimistic in the things that we have the ability to do. What I mean by that is the the power that we have to change the direction that we are heading right now. So I think that we might not necessarily be optimistic about uh, the environment. Uh, We might not be optimistic about where necessarily our politics are heading, but I think we're optimistic that we feel that we do have the ability to change those things. Mm -hmm. Uh, And oftentimes I think it gets seen in a negative light, um, but we're just not afraid to speak out. And we have so many platforms to do so. It's never been before that I'm sure many different generations, I mean, could you imagine uh, back in the 70s, 60s and 70s when the, uh, the hippie movement and everything started coming about, if they would have had Twitter or Instagram or Facebook at that time? Um, mm. you know, they had to march or they had to go to events. They had to do things in person. Whereas uh, the millennials, we have the power in our thumbs to talk about it and to band together on a larger scale. So I think that it gets seen in negative light, but it necessarily might not be. That's um, a great point, Andrew. Yeah, I appreciate that. Um, getting into the work part, though, this kind of stems back to what you mentioned earlier about the whole idea of corporate America and the way that the boomers and the generation, our parents, my parents, parents' generation came up. Um, we are, I don't think many people are necessarily optimistic about corporate America. Um, I think that we really, really, to A, be a consumer and purchase uh, from a brand consistently and B, to want to work for them. We want to know that what they're doing is making an impact and a positive impact because I know for myself personally and many people that I talk to that are in my generation, my friend group, we're not okay with just contributing to some false idea that what we're doing is making an impact. We have to be able to see the fruits of our labor. And that might be something that, you know, it's, you, you might not be able to see that in a place like Uber. You know, you don't know if your marketing campaign that you worked on Uh, You might see an impact, but it's not going to be adding huge revenue dollars to the company. But as long as we're seeing that the the work that we're doing is leading to a larger organizational impact, I think that that is where we are very optimistic. And that's where a lot of 
um, organizations are winning when it comes to recruiting. So if you look at LinkedIn, you look at Airbnb that recently just posted, um, hey, if you just got laid off in the giant marketing department layoffs at Uber, come work for us and help change the world hmm. in hospitality. Um, so I think that that's where our optimism is shifting. And you're, that's why you're seeing so many people in my generation jump around. And it's funny because my parents and my grandparents, I love them. But man, when I first started my career, they were tied in knots <laughs> about how <laughs> I was approaching the stuff I was doing, the risks I was taking, and you know, not necessarily sticking out a job if I felt like it just was a terrible fit. So that's really, I think the landscape is shifting and it's making um, the talented young professionals that are coming out of school, coming out of grad school, have a lot more power in the, situ- in the say in what they're doing than maybe corporations would like. You know, it's interesting. Uh, uh, Jeff and I uh, have talked about this uh, many times uh, on the show about, you know, when you encounter circumstances that are not necessarily what you want them to be, EQ has a way of helping you kind of manage how you look at them and how you manage them. And you said something there that really kind of triggered it a bit for me is that how do we maneuver when things are not looking the way that we want them to. And obviously there's some things that are out of your control and then there's some things that are. And I think based on a lot of what you were saying there, you can use optimism to fuel you even in the stuff that doesn't necessarily make you feel so good. Would you agree with that, Andrew? Yeah, yeah, I would. Absolutely. So in work and life, uh, obviously it's a mixed bag, right? From the millennial generational point of view. And, um, Andrew, you know this about me uh, in our previous conversations. I do believe the millennial generation does get dumped on a little more than most Mm -hmm. others with all kinds of uh, stereotypes and and the like, which is probably what the baby boomers did to the Gen Xers and probably the greatest generation did to the baby boomers and on and on and on it goes, right? (laughs) So uh, one of the things that I wanted to kind of open up a little bit, if you had to give some advice to someone around a struggle with negativity because oftentimes if you're not optimistic there's a good chance you might be pessimistic right or negative so Mm -hmm. when you encounter the negativity what are some of the things you typically you know maybe try to point out for folks if they're really trying to, to to kind of get out of that rut yeah it's funny that you bring that up because i recently actually Uh, posted something on LinkedIn around this topic of um, negativity, at least professionally. Mm -hmm. Um, But I think both professionally and in your personal life, if you're truly trying to get away from a negative mindset, you have to make genuine, hard decisions about, and you have to commit to it. Uh, Because if you're in a negative space, there's a good chance that your environment is playing a huge part to that. So when, when you hear people being negative, they're complaining about a situation or all of their situations and the things that they experience in a day to day, they're seeing it with that negative lens in, in a pessimistic way. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that your environment plays such a huge part in that. And that would be my first thing is evaluate your surroundings, evaluate your personal life. Are you, are you interacting with good people who are working towards a better goal, are supporting you and your goals and what you're trying to achieve, um, are, you know, are you consuming content that is negative? Because if you're on Twitter all day and you get down a political thread where people are just arguing back and forth, 
it is impossible not to get sucked into that. Um, so I feel like cutting those things out are super important. And then also considering that in the professional workplace. And this is where it can get really difficult because depending on the size of the organization that you are working in, it is probably inevitable if you're working at a large organization that you might have some negative coworkers. Um, and and I, I've talked to people who are like, yeah, every day I come in and by 12 o'clock, you know, Jean over there in her cubicle is just going on and on about this customer and everything that they're doing, yada, yada, yada. At that point, it's, it's, am I on the correct career path? Am I in an organization that can support that? And what do I do about it if that is the case? If, if you answered yes to those two things, then you need to consider other ways of trying to cut that negativity out. So maybe it's asking, hey, like, I really need to be in a different place within our building. I feel like I'm becoming negative. And if you explain that and you're in a, an organization that cares about your growth and your success, they're going to try and accommodate you or trying to find ways that you can work around it because they want positive people working for them. Yeah, that's in a great my, point. In an example I could give, I was prior to working with Futurity, I was working with an organization where I came in super optimistic and excited. Within five months, I was just as negative as those around me. Mm. And it was just talking about clients like, oh, this person did this. Can you believe that? Or, oh, my goodness, I can't believe they made this business decision. And it was just a very sour, poisonous, toxic place. I love the people I work with and I enjoyed working there. But I knew for my professional development to move forward, I had to make a change immediately because I saw my work ethic suffering because of it. And that's a really, really scary thing to see in yourself, especially if you're a driven person and you see yourself not feeling driven. That is a sign that you have to get out and find some other opportunity that's going to be a better environment to support your goals. Andrew, I'd like to ask a question. As somebody that is firmly in the boomer generation, do you think there's a difference in what I would see as a negative thing and what you would see as a negative thing? I think so. And I think it comes back to... Um, and it also ties back to number to the first question you asked about me around optimism and um, how millennials are making decisions. I think we are more and more emotionally driven than any other generation to date. And we allow those emotions to play a huge factor into our uh, into our decision making and how we view the world, whether that be in a negative or a positive light. And the problem is, is I think we are an unbelievably empathetic generation that wants everybody to be equal. We want people to be enjoying their lives. We want people to be happy. But it's connecting that empathy and then utilizing it to make emotionally intelligent decisions, which is exactly, you know, what you guys are, are working towards. I think that's where the disconnect is. And what, what can happen is it can lead for someone to make an irrational decision based on good foundations. They just handled it in the wrong way. So I think that when we're seeing things negatively, we're looking at a lot of different angles and it's much more of a tertiary color. It's not just black and white. It's shades of black, it's shades of gray, it's shades of black, it's shades of white. And I think that that's where the big difference is, is that it can be seen as super negative from somebody like my parents or my grandparents where it was, you know, your situation is not that bad. Why are you acting like this? And it's because, well, it makes me feel really bad. It might not look bad, but I feel terrible. And I think that's where the big difference is, is listening to emotions, 
versus stifling it until it's unbearable. So when somebody in my generation tells someone in your generation to suck it up, that's probably not going to help. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> and um, I've, heard, I've heard it before from many people <laughs> from my hometown. Well, hey, you know what's interesting about that too, Andrew, as a uh, Gen Xer, so I'm kind of in the middle between you two. One of the things that, yeah, you know, when Jeff used that term, you know, just, hey, suck it up, you know. And and some of that is colored by what certain generations go through, you know, and, and I'm talking on on a larger scale, whether it's a war, whether it's a, a, a an event like 9-11, uh, you know, fill in the blanks. I think each generation I, has I was, those. I was old enough to be aware of the Cuban Missile Crisis okay, where so, we didn't know if we'd be alive the next day. Yeah, and I think some of that shapes that. Now, the beautiful part about EQ, as we know, right, is that it is learnable – and learnable and learnable. So it wouldn't be okay for a millennial or a Gen Xer or a baby boomer to say, well, this is just how I am. This is just how our generation is, because that's quite frankly a cop-out, right? So you mentioned there about decisions, right? Uh, As it relates to what somebody does when when they're faced with struggling with negativity. And that's a real key part of emotional intelligence, right? And I, again, Jeff, I know we've talked about it tons and tons of times. I, I think six seconds, our preferred partner, has it simply as being smarter with feelings. Mm-hmm. Um, I've kind of used the definition that it's managing my thoughts and my emotions so that I can make better decisions. And Andrew, from that perspective, do you think that if, again, we're talking specifically at the millennial generation, but do you think that if they were able to embrace that sort of idea, that concept, that approach, that discipline, that it could move them further along in their pursuits and what they're after? Yeah, I mean, I think 120% because, um, I mean, with, I think that with maturity and moving forward in your life comes that perspective that is so important to, in my opinion, that's kind of like the bridge between somebody who's empathetic but reacts emotionally too often and someone who is able to evaluate their emotions and use it to drive a better decision and Mm -hmm. harness that power. Mm -hmm. And I think perspective sits right in the middle. Um, So I think that if, if more of my generation would have the gratitude and perspective to understand that other generations, because, you know, we've dealt with crises, crises before, um, but for me, like nine eleven, you mentioned nine eleven. I was in, uh, I believe I was in kindergarten when this happened, and I remember the TV being on, and just a terribly old TV that was a little box. So I was sitting like right in front of it, but I was not old enough to process until later on to understand like we are going to war because of this. So I think that not having that perspective of what a truly terrible time can be like and what it feels like is one of the reasons that maybe many people in the millennial generation aren't as grateful for what they have, or they don't have that perspective to understand that times are good. Mm-hmm. And I think that's really the limiting factor. And I think where a lot of the frustration comes from with the other generation. So can you think of any ways just right, maybe off the top of your head of how you've used emotional intelligence or EQ to, to help you make more optimal decisions? And let's let's uh, let's go personal and real. Whatever you feel comfortable sharing. Okay. How about that? Yeah, 
Yeah, I've got some really great examples. And one of them was last night, last night, but I'll save that. So professionally, I think um, that one of the reasons that I love being in client services, so anybody that's in client services, you're literally like the product is the project that your team works on and mm-hmm. provides or a service that you're providing to another business. Um, and so when you're dealing with the account management and the project kickoff, like I'm doing on the new business side of things, there are many, many times that communication errors or something going wrong that you didn't anticipate can cause frustration. And, you know, that your, your livelihood is to make sure that those projects work and that they are done well. Um, so I use emotional intelligence every single day when it comes to that. I mean, with a recent project kickoff, it was, there's a lot of misunderstanding between the level of, um, there's been misunderstandings between the level of knowledge uh, on one side that we we might not have as far as the industry goes, or on the other side as not understanding necessarily what it is exactly that we do. And it's really easy to get frustrated in those situations. So being able to take those emotions and then kind of build a bridge between where you're standing and where somebody else is standing, like you can't, you can't find middle ground in a river. You have to build a bridge over it. And that's, I feel like emotional intelligence allows you to do that professionally. Hmm. Um, and I was, I used it on a call the other day when there was a pro or a, uh, a contract dispute and within the contract, it was written, but I did not do a good job of explaining it in a way that made sense. So the result of that was frustration from the client in saying, well, you didn't say this. But then once we went back through the contract and worked around it, I apologized immediately saying, you know, I should have been better at communicating because this is a very important piece of the contract for you and involved money. And then he afterwards was like, you know, that's also my fault. I didn't ask the right questions and I didn't read through the contract well enough to see that this was in here. Mm-hmm. Most of the time people are willing to work with you if you approach them in a way that does not attack them or does not put their defensive defenses up. And it sounds super simple. You know, my mom always talks about, you know, if you corner a dog that's cute, eventually their true nature of trying to protect themselves is going to come out and they'll bite you if you, you know, approach them quickly in a corner. Um, and the same thing goes for humans. We're just, we're always subconsciously looking out for how our own, for our livelihood and for our best interests. Mm-hmm. So if you can't find ways to use that emotional intelligence to, and empathy to understand their situation, it is going to impact you in a very, very negative way. And you're going to find yourself with a lot of issues because of it. So uh, how about the personal one? And this was last <laughs> night. Do we have any video for this? Uh... Uh, no, I, I have a recording of the conversation. <laughs> I, I probably can't use it. Um, so recently we've been dealing with some different things. We're going to be moving out from the townhouse that I live in. Um, and some different things happened that were kind of out of my control when I moved in um, that put us in jeopardy, uh, put us in direct violation of our lease. So in turn, um, our landlord was saying, look, we can hold your security deposits. And for me, I just moved in five months ago. And I was like, I do not want to lose my full security deposit, only living there for five months in a situation where I did nothing wrong. Um, So I basically turned to like, I, I to this exact strategy of, of understanding the landlord's point of view, admitting where we were wrong, and then proposing a solution. Um, and so we had a phone call with her last night, 
And I basically told her, I was like, look, I, I am really, really sorry that this has caused you excess stress and work. You know, I know you don't want to deal with that. I related to her and explaining that, look, my parents took over my grandma's uh, properties when she went, when she passed away. I understand that this is terrible. You know, my, my former spouse, she was a, she managed a property, a whole property, just like you are doing. And this was wrong. We wronged you, but I promise you, we want to make it right. How can we do that? Um, and by the end of the call, she was like, so, so are you the negotiator that lives here in this apartment? <laughs> and I was like, well, you know, not necessarily, but, um, you know, I just felt like I, you just have to relate to them and admit when you're wrong, uh, because it's so hard to, to put yourself in someone else's shoes. And the hardest part is, especially when you're feeling like emotionally attacked or misunderstood in trying to relate as to why somebody would think that way. Mm-hmm. Um, and in the end, by the end of the call, she was like, give us your address. We're going to be sending your um, your security deposits uh, to those addresses and you guys will get a full reimbursement. So, well, great. Good. Those are great examples, Andrew. <laughs> great examples. So what do you think is one problem that emotional intelligence can help as it relates to career planning and specifically around, again, exercising optimism? Uh, as as a competency within within our model, just as a as a leverage point. But but what are some things that you think, or maybe one thing you think a problem you think that EQ could help as it relates to that? Uh, I think it can play. It plays a big part in um, when dealing with superiors that uh, that you might be not seeing eye to eye with. Um, I think it, it's really really easy when you are not at a level where you have to deal with the, um, I, it sounds like a bad term, but I don't mean it this way, but the bureaucracy that might be happening above you mm-hmm. or um, the pressures that might be being put on somebody who is then in turn managing you. So I think if we're relating this back to the millennial generation, um, we do not take criticism very well, I don't think, personally. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that it, it's really easy for us to get on the defensive and that's that's why some people <laughs> might say, like you said, Jeff, suck it up. Um, <laughs> if we feel attacked, it's it's really hard for us to look into uh, using that emotional intelligence to channel outside of yourself and try and look above the trees and see what's in it, what's happening down below. Um, that's something that my mom always taught us when we were younger: is every time you're faced with a situation or a problem climb to the top of the tree, look into the distance and try and understand what's happening that you aren't seeing right now. Hmm. And I think that when a manager or maybe you're, you are a manager and a director comes to you and says, look, this is a problem. We're not happy with it. You need to fix it. It would be really, really easy to just channel, to just take all that in, get upset and then dole it out on the other people on your team or that you're managing or to harbor bad resentment against somebody else and let that sour the relationship um, moving forward instead of a digging deeper into what it is that is happening by just simply asking and trying to have a, a, an intelligent conversation or by looking at what's happening and just even considering if you don't even, it doesn't even have to be an interaction you just have to think okay so we miss our numbers because of this and this person is directly accountable to this giant number. I'm sure that they're dealing with a lot of other things, as well as potentially other business units taking credit for something that they may have done or saying that they're at fault for something that's happening. 
So just because somebody else doesn't potentially use emotional intelligence in an interaction, if you're able to harness that power that you that you possess, it makes your world a lot easier because misunderstandings are kind of at the root, in my opinion, of all relationships that turn bad at the start. You know, that's interesting, Andrew, because you just added in something I think is real important, and that is empathy. And I know, Jeff, again, something we've talked a lot about. It's one of the most important things I think we've talked about. Yeah, because the idea of understanding what that manager is dealing with, with that director, or fill in the blank with any other example. Uh, Another thing that I thought about, too, Andrew, I don't know what your thoughts are, but when I think about, you know, exercising optimism and then, you know, also those that maybe are are prone or kind of in a rut of negativity. Uh, I, I've used this example before that that we all of us, all human beings, are we're painters, we're artists, and each day we're given a blank canvas, and we've got all the tools necessary to paint whatever the portrait or the scene might be, and every day those paintings are being put into a museum, and they're on the walls. And the walls, they have our names on it, right? Mm-hmm. And anybody that you work with, your family included in, in, in the personal life, they see that. They get to know, are, are the paintings that I make beautiful to look at? Are they, are they positive? Are they inspiring? Or are they gloomy? Are they dark? Are they kind of depressing? Or... You know, fill in the blank with whatever would be the negative. Now, take that example and imagine if you're in that negative place and you want to get some coaching or mentoring from someone else inside of your workplace. And keep in mind, that person has seen your museum. They've seen it every day. (laughs) Now, I'm the kind of guy, because of my empathy levels, I'd want to give them a shot. I, I wouldn't want to prejudge. But I could not help but think in the back of my head, this person has painted so many negative portraits. I'm not so sure I'm, this is going to be good or it's going to be right. So that's just something as an aside I thought of as you were talking about that. Kind of moving on here, who is inspiring you right now, whether it's recent history and why? It's not a trick question either, Andrew. (laughs) <laughs> it's, uh, it, you know, I, I could be, I, I definitely have to say that um, when we had, or when, when you and I first interacted, I kind of had not thought of emotional intelligence until, I mean, you, even before, before everything that you're doing now, you were probably one of the most optimistic and positive people who was implementing this every single day in your life. And Andrew, I need to interrupt you. Um, Brett, who do we, who does he send the check to again? (laughs) Me. Sends it to me. I have to listen to this. Uh, See, Jeff is over here now, just like rolling his eyes right now, Andrew. I I, I know. (laughs) Thank you. That was the proper response. Thank you for saying that, Andrew. (laughs) But continue. Um, so I think that that you were somebody that really put this on my radar radar initially, and it couldn't have been more opportune. I mean, just of absolutely divine timing, because by the time after our first conversation within a month, I had just lost my job at a place that I thought was like my ticket to to the top. Um, so when that happened, I, I found myself like that was the most negative following two to three months of my life. 
And I had never really experienced being like kicked in the teeth like that to say. So it was like really, it was really interesting to see um, how difficult it is. Cause like I can truly say that I understand that it is hard to use emotional intelligence when things aren't going well. It is probably the, one of the most difficult things to do because everything in our head, I mean, there's even a chemical that is released when something bad happens to you that literally makes you nonstop think about it. And it's, it's like, how do you get past this almost naturistic in instinct to be negative and to get upset? So that was a huge piece in, in my life that really inspired me to try and get past that and to make better decisions and to use that to basically be a springboard for my story, which it, you know, it, it now kind of has. Mm -hmm. um, but then I think on a, on a larger scale, I'm incredibly inspired by the professional community that I'm connected with, uh, both in person here in Columbus, as well as on LinkedIn. And I've been very, very intentional about who I'm connecting with and who I'm following on there. Because, you know, for the professional part of me is such a huge piece of my life that any negative or toxic person can spoil that entire positive pool, in my opinion. Because if I see a negative post in the middle of the day, that just, it ruins anything else, any other content that I'm trying to consume and learn from. Mm -hmm. But everybody so unanimously has been using LinkedIn in the, in the way that they envisioned it to network to connect with people to find jobs I, I follow a couple different um hr leaders on linkedin that are probably the most helpful positive people i mean these people have millions of people following them hundreds of thousands of likes on their posts and they're using it to help professionals who are in a bad position who have had some bad luck to get new jobs and get career the careers they ever wanted and it's unbelievable to see people like that, you know, and surprise, they're HR professionals, so they know all about emotional intelligence. <laughs> right. um, but uh, I think that, so that's another piece that's been hugely, hugely inspiring to me. Um, and one other person who recently came into my life um, through Futurity, it was a, a connection, a mutual connection. Um, his name is Ethan Duhertz, and he's the founder and CEO of a uh, a media company that was out of Springfield that's moved to Columbus. And they, I mean, they make some of the best professional videos that I've ever seen, like stuff that gives you chills when you watch it. Mm. And I have never met a more, I mean, he is so positive that he'll be at an event and he will just see somebody who he doesn't know. He will walk right up to him, smile, shake their hand and just like almost yell, what's up, what's going on? And he just brings this energy that you can immediately see that person who is standing alone and feeling awkward just completely reciprocates it. And he just, he builds relationships like that just through that positivity and that, that just glow that he has about it. And I mean, he's been working uh, like 18 hour days for the past month because they have so many projects going and he's so invested in what they're doing. And he called me the other day and he was the same exact person. He wasn't changed at all. He's like, you know, we're getting through it. I mean, just so optimistic about most people. If they don't have sleep, there's not a whole lot of optimism that you're going to pull out of them. Mm -hmm. But it's like, refuses to let any of that negativity come out of him. And I've literally never seen him be, be negative. And it's been incredible to see because he's one year older than I am. Wow. And uh, so somebody that close to me in age doing something so huge. And it, it's just great to work with him. Um, and I've totally 
become a better person and a better professional and having the opportunity to collaborate with them. Wow, that's awesome. So I usually do this at the beginning, but I'm going to do it at the end uh, for this uh, show. So Andrew, tell us, what is it that you do professionally and about your company, Futurity? So I am the business development manager here at Futurity. So I manage and oversee all of uh, our new growth activities, whether that be uh, like inbound content creation or straight sales and finding new opportunities, um, networking, getting out to events, that sort of thing, meeting new people, um, as well as managing channel partnerships like the one that I just mentioned to you uh, with Champion City Media. And Futurity, in a nutshell, we're a data analytics and communications agency um, focused on influencing positive behavior change by helping organizations connect their consumers or their constituents or patients on a human level. Mm. Uh, so it sounds kind of uh, kind of uh, convert, but we truly you can see in our work and what we've done that through the numbers, you can actually achieve a level of humanity and understanding that has never been done before. And we use this for impact projects. So we work in the smart mobility space in finding ways to connect and communicate with underserved and uh, transportation disadvantaged neighborhoods and demographics um, in ways where we're trying to help with solving homelessness by understanding who's at risk. Um, and even in healthcare, where uh, we're finding ways to understand who needs this life-saving service and how are they going to respond in a positive way to become more compliant? Hmm. And how do we get them to interact in a way that's going to make them healthier, even though they may not trust it or they may be scared or um, they might not know what to do? And it's almost like using that kind of emotional intelligence within the communication strategies by understanding who people are at, uh, who people are at the core at scale. That's awesome. Andrew, I cannot thank you enough for joining us today. This has been a great show. Your insights are very, very positive, and I think uh, it'll go a long way for our listeners to to hear your, your viewpoints. So we really appreciate it. Thank you, Andrew. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you guys so much. It was an absolute pleasure, and it was so much fun talking to you guys about this. All right. Take care. Thanks for subscribing and listening to the Spirit of EQ podcast with Jeff East and Eric Pennington. Spirit of EQ is a preferred partner of Six Seconds, the Emotional Intelligence Network. Six Seconds is a nonprofit organization researching what works in emotional intelligence. Best practices are shared through methods and tools that are global, scientific, and transformational. To find out more about Spirit of EQ or to request a speaker, go to spiritofeq.com. Our contact information is in the podcast show notes as well. And now for our special offer. Hi, this is Jeff again. I just want to let everybody know that if you have any questions or want more information about anything we've talked about, just send me a quick email. My email is jeff at spiritofeq.com, and I'll get right back with you. Thanks. Hi, everyone. This is Eric Pennington with The Spirit of EQ. I'm not introducing a new episode today. I'm here to tell you some things that might help you. Jeff, you're with me as always. So yes. how do people get in touch with us? Well, the best way is just send us an email at info at spiritofeq.com. That's awesome. Jeff, I was also thinking about reviews, and I'm notoriously bad at asking for them. So 
reviews on all of the platforms wherever you get your podcasts. Yes. You think that'd be good? I think that would be great because one, that will help us learn how to make better ones. And it's always good for us. So to we're, hear. we're not the perfect podcast host. We're close. Okay. But, all right. But, but not, still, not totally. We want perfect. your feedback. We want your feedback. But it it also might uh, let us know a new subject. Hey, we need to dig deeper into that. Yeah. So let us know what you think. Cool. We really appreciate that. As always, too, there is social media, LinkedIn, Facebook, and we also have a YouTube channel. Those also have mechanisms or, or options for you to be able to leave a comment, a like, or those kind of things. Just want to make sure that you know how to get in touch with us. Right, Jeff? Right. We appreciate you all. Thank you. Once again, we really appreciate you tuning in today. One of the things that Jeff and I want to bring to your attention as well is that when we created this podcast, it was not intended to take the place of a clinician. In other words, if you find yourself in a place where there's something deeper going on or something that you cannot solve on your own, we do recommend that you reach out to a clinician of some sort. This podcast is purely opinion-based and it is rooted in the desire to help you along your path in whatever way we can. However, it is never going to replace, nor should it ever be looked at as a replacement for clinical help in any way. Thanks again for tuning in.